This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now. So I'll play it for you. It's a... called My Old Man. And now I'm at Al Mohammadi for Douglas Louise. Turns it in, looks a really good cross, really splits in Salvati. The flag stayed down, but on the volley, it's into the turf and wide. So exasperating for the villain. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me, fresh from the whole tent, wearing their Peaky Blinder Adidas Small Heath special trainers. I'll stop you right there. I'm going to give you a, <laughs> an, a, I'm going to give you an El Ghazi style Ming's headbutt now. <laughs> just to why 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 do you think that woman drove into the crowded Holt car park? I don't because she thought there was some Adidas Small Heath trainers. In the she vicinity. was so outraged that all of her Kappa labels had washed off her. <laughs> anyway, welcome to uh, Mr. Dan Rogers and Mr. Chris Burks. Hello, hello, hello. To discuss the aftermath of the uh, slightly frustrating nil-nil draw against the Happy Hammers at Villa Park. Just mentioned this car incident. Uh, mm. you, you were in the whole ten side. What, we were. what was going on? We saw, uh, as, as everyone was leaving, uh, going through and heading towards the underpass direction from Under from the Park. expressway, wasn't it? Yeah, um, a... What can only be described as a crazed lunatic terrorist <laughs> attack, <laughs> as as yet unconfirmed. Yeah, someone drove into the into a, a crowd of people, a, powered their way through the the crowd, and they knocked a guy over and were almost lynched. Oh right! Oh yeah, the car got surrounded. Oh yeah, it All was right. gonna. It was mob mentality. Was there was definitely swiftly. a few kicks of the bonnet. Mm. Was it just bad driving? Yeah, it was shit dri- driving. No, it was, it was like, just foolish. It was like, deliberate. It was deliberate. Just reckless, allegedly. What does that put me on legal ground? <laughs> <laughs> Brexit means Good. Brexit. Got to go. Guys. Came, she came through the underpass, beeping a horn, telling everyone yeah, to get yeah, out of yeah. the way, and everyone was like, "No, fuck you. We've got the right yeah. way here." And what they didn't expect was that she'd continue just keep to keep going. On. Yeah, she just mm. ploughed on. 
Yes. Well, it's not not really a good move in this kind of climate. So. No, no. She was uh, last seen talking to the local constabulary. All right. Okay. Good. Right. Uh, moving on, uh, we will discuss this crisis club contagion. Contagion is that the right word? Yeah, I like that. Has spread to uh, other European countries. We will uh, discuss. We have a funny example uh, from. Uh, one club in said meltdown also we go back to iran it's 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 a fertile ground for stories for the three points and uh, we uh, spot uh, mika richards uh, popping up uh, out of nowhere we will obviously go through uh, the hammer game with a fine tooth comb we're going to skip the scott hogan touch count this week That'll be in the ne- next episode because Mr. Max Stokes actually went to Stoke and uh, was uh, touting it around on social media how many touches he's had. So he's kind of ruined it for all of us. Boo hiss. Plus, plus, you wouldn't want to hear Chris Bud lose two weeks running. I mean, exactly. It gets old, doesn't it? I mean, just being flogged and whipped <laughs> for the masses is. It's not entertaining. This isn't the live show from Iran, Dan. <laughs> but also, because I haven't got round to uh, replying to the email from somebody else who wanted to sponsor the next one, so I will give him uh, due diligence and uh, reply back first, and uh, we will crack on in the next episode with a Scott Hogan touch count. Also, if you uh, have a local business or you want to promote something, Thing and you want to sponsor the Scott Hogan Touch Count, do get in touch. Just before we move on, content with the ashes being drawn? No. No. <laughs> but then but then the Aussies have got, a, uh, have got a cheat still in their team, so they can go on about their world-class batsmen. Cheat, <laughs> as you were. Cheating, cheating. That's all Australia, Australian listeners. I'm just trying to withdraw back to a position of, but we still love you from afar. I think we just about saved the summer. <laughs> we haven't like completely like washed away the World Cup win. So at least they still haven't beaten us in, since, was it 2001, the last time they beat us in England? Probably we didn't do enough. We didn't deserve to win the Ashes, but it's good that we didn't lose, so to speak. Pack them back off to their island of scarily large spiders. Anyway, animals. quickly, quickly, before we get a three-star review, complaining about lack of villa content uh, or lack of football content should i say right first of all three points mr chris birds give me the first one point number one crisis clubs they've gone from bolton to berry via aston and now we're in malaga so um it's a nice journey isn't it at least it's sunny now yeah Mm. former leicester city premier league winner of course shinzi okazaki Signed for Malaga back in July d- during the transfer window and was then subsequently released on deadline day on the 3rd of September, saying, uh, I'll never forget Malaga, having never kicked a competitive ball for them and uh, never officially been registered, I don't think. So basically, here's a player that got signed in the transfer window and released in the same transfer window. Yes. But why? Tell me why. So Malaga are in financial meltdown, aren't they? Due to an, yet another dodgy owner that's somehow been allowed to be let loose with a, a football club. Their TV rights are embargoed, aren't they? Yeah, and, and they're essentially they're un- unable to register any players because of the salary limit. They're obviously to do with financial fair play and financial situation within the club. They went into their first league game of the season with, I think they had nine first-team players available, of which if you only have seven under La Liga rules, you have to forfeit the game. Somehow, with only nine senior players, they actually won their first game of the season. Wow. Doesn't doesn't say a lot for the standard of Spanish uh, football, no. does it? No. So, Okazaki <laughs> has now ended up at SD Huesca. 
were they second tier? They're also second tier, yeah, saying, I regret nothing, and given the opportunity, he'd signed for Malaga all over again. He said but lying. He said lying. and he, he said, show me the money. As you said earlier on, he said, I'll never forget Malaga, but I think it was in the context of actually money for nothing. Really. I think most people who go to Malaga leave saying, I'll never forget this fucking place. Is it not where we, Aston Villa, won the Peace Cup? You love the Peace Cup, don't you? It was a great penalty shootout. It was the penalty shit. We lost against Malaga in the first game. We thought it was all over. Then we beat those Mexicans. And then we beat those Portuguese. And then we beat those Itais in the final. Moving on to... Didn't we beat uh, Juventus point- as well? Yeah, Itais. They're Italian. Itais, <laughs> Italian. Juventus, <laughs> Turin, you know, it's in Italy. The boot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, point number two. <laughs> I, I, uh, Danny Boy Rogers <laughs> back in the game, and and if there's one good thing to come off the back of this podcast, it's that I will never achieve an Iranian visa if I ever apply for one because I get all of the Iranian stories week on week. Um, this is, I mean, this is madness, really. This is in this it is twenty first century world of, I suppose, it's fake music, blah 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 blah. But anyway, this is about a terrible story of a, of a female football fan called Sahar Kodiyari, and she set herself on fire last week after learning that she she. She stood to be in prison for trying to enter Tehran's Azadi Stadium. Now, this is Tehran's Freedom Stadium. I'll leave the, the irony there for you. And, and all she was trying to do was, was go and watch a game of football. And it's easy easy to joke, and I've joked previously, that you know it's almost Monty Python-esque that she was dressing up as a man, and as many female Iranian fans do, to try and get in and watch a game of football. Because it's still illegal. It's backwards. It's absolutely backwards. And the, the bonkers nature of this is that FIFA, as usual, turns a blind eye. You know, it goes around finding people left, right and centre for leaving school screw tops on their Coca-Cola bottles, but if people are abusing human rights, that's apparently okay. And what's coming up October the 10th? October the 10th is what I'm billing on the VillaUnderground.com as the Human Rights Cup. Hey, that was you just stole my gag there, you bastard. I'm taking it, I'm taking it. (laughs) (laughs) This is the unbelievable World Cup qualifying fixture of... Iran versus Cambodia on in the Freedom Stadium. Could there be a more <laughs> ironic fixture in world football? If only they could bring Shall Let's we go? Get tickets. <laughs> I Let's definitely. Get Max Stokes. Max Stokes needs to go. Max on tour. Iran versus <laughs> Cambodia. We'll take him as our sacrifice. <laughs> Let's get a sponsor. Get that Kickstarter crowdfunder whatever going. Max on tour at Iran versus Cambodia. Hashtag get Max to Iran. He's going to have to dress as a man to get into the stadium. He'll need to go quickly because I'm pretty sure America's going to be rearranging the geography of that part of the world soon. So <laughs> He can be like a pathfinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on a serious note, he's surely got to get to this straw that breaks the camel's back is when somebody's setting themselves on it's fire in protest. Ooh about this because they're facing six months in prison just for going to a football game it's it's insane it's insane speaking of insane i was surprised uh, this is point number three to find I, I haven't watched bbc's final score a lot because of the internet you don't really need to you know tune in on tv to get the results uh, on a saturday but uh, i just happened to be passing a tv that was on and uh Mika richards was there sitting next to uh, dion dublin uh, with uh, facing the presenter and let's bear in mind that final score takes place literally a couple of minutes after the final whistle of the of all these games on a Saturday. So I don't know how many were in the Premier League, but you know, 
what six seven and Dion Dublin and Mikael Richards are making out you know they're talking about Spurs oh they they were for 90 minutes they were compact at the back and they're playing with more fluidity going forwards for you know across 90 minutes that's been the big difference from their early games and then they're talking about Manchester United and how you know their forward line was creating chances across the 90 minutes blah 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 and I'm thinking how, how can these two guys give you these sweeping generalizations and trying to infer to the audience that they've actually watched every minute of these games all that they all took place at the same time i wonder whether mika richards has spent the, the last few years well the last five years honing his mental skills that he can watch <laughs> nine concurrent football games he took all the he, he, he took he took the power from his knees and his uh, <laughs> achilles and put them into his eye socket pumped, so pumped it into his cerebral cortex like a spider he has like multiple eyes and can see nine nine ten screens at any given time i mean if there's one thing that mika richards does scream it's it's um learned intellectual so uh, i mean uh, maybe you're wrong i think he's on there because of his mank accent and also because <laughs> the bbc are based in manchester now so it's a bit of, uh... Lower travel expenses, is that what you're supposed to <laughs> <laughs> Does sound like the BBC. They're trying to keep it real, get some Manx on board. Anyway, let's uh, move on. Just a quick uh, thank you to Sarah Lawrence uh, for becoming a My Old Man Said patron. If you want to also uh, join us and support the show, uh, go to myoldmansaid.com and check out the details uh, via the patron option on the menu bar. We are now, we'll be pumping out, uh, I think, a couple of bonus shows a week now. Uh, one of them is called Meanwhile, where which is based on Meanwhile in the rest of the world, where we look at the rest of the uh, football in the Premier League and beyond to give what's happening at Villa a bit of context. And also, we're going to do a bit of an anti-preview show, just a quick job every week, where we basically discuss let's say about three things that we actually hate about a certain club so uh, this week it'll be Arsenal as they are Villa's next opponent plenty of things to hate about Arsenal I think also uh, congratulations to Jonathan Mulhern who or Jono AVFC on Instagram who is the winner of our Warwickshire Gin triple set competition so he should be receiving uh, that triple set of gins that's a brilliant prize. From the Warwickshire Gin Company uh, next week, I think Chris Budd bumped into the Warwickshire Gin Company yes. in town. Shout did he out not? to Blicky for the uh, hospitality on a nice sunny Saturday in Birmingham. 11am, you were, you were trying out gins. Yep, good times. What a time to be alive. Before you went off to the Peaky Blinder Festival to meet your small heath mates. For about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Mixed reports on that Peaky Blinder. I mean, I've seen... Mm. Uh, I think mixed reports is a very polite way of putting it. Yeah, but it's, it's funny when people go to th- concerts, they'll, they'll always go on social media saying it's the greatest, oh, it's the greatest gig ever, it's fantastic, because people just want likes. They just want to say, you know, you look at Villa social media and, well, he's fan, you know, you put something positive, you get loads of likes. So, and that's how it goes with like gigs. But although they had, a, you know, some reasonable acts there, and, you know, a few I've seen separately, like, you know, Anna Kelvey and Primal Scream, well, Primal Scream back in the day. And, you know, I've seen Liam Gallagher when he was with Oasis. But I think it's a bit of a secret cinema job, isn't it, where they create a world. I don't know. Bur- Birmingham Mail is almost like they got paid to write a review about it. But when you look on Twitter, you see a lot of people saying, you know, I fucked it off early. It, you know, it was a joke. Mm. Half the things that were advertised weren't there. I mean, sometimes people can't find things. The pizza festival around the corner was good, though. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, if anybody uh, 
went to the festival, let us know uh, via Twitter or social media or the Mad Few Facebook group what you actually thought of it and what your experience was. We like to take an interest in what's happening in Birmingham. Moving on to uh, the Hammers game. Now, going into it, I was just like, come on, let's kickstart our season. If we win this game, we'll be two points off the top four. It's so open this season, apart from obviously Mm. Liverpool, who have... Who did I say would win the league this season? I think I said Liverpool. Brighton, wasn't it? It's a bit early, but uh, just had a feeling Manchester City already uh, five points off, aren't they? After five games, it's, mm-hmm. it's insane. But the rest of the teams are all bunched together. I mean, obviously, it's early early doors, but normally there's a pack of four or five, six teams that break off at the start. But this time it's ridiculous. As we said in a, a previous podcast, uh, a lot of teams in transition. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Villa are uh, you know, literally rebuilding. and We've just obviously arrived in the Premier League. So if only it was a couple of seasons uh, later in our promotion, then in this transitional year, who knows, we could have cracked in there. It would have been a good time to launch a uh, top four campaign, put it that way. Uh, but going into the game, it was a very close game to call. I mean, the book is pretty much had it even. So this was an opportunity. And, you know, to be honest, West Ham didn't really impress me. I mean, they were on a bit of a run of form. They had the best starts, you know, I mean, three, four games. Uh, won the last two, drew the one before after getting hammered by Manchester City 5-0. But I don't know. I think Villa contained them pretty comfortably and mm. held them to one shot on target. I mean, Heaton didn't really have to break a sweat through the whole game. What's your main takeaways from the game, Dan? Uh, I thought, I think I'll square off West Ham first. I thought that they were quite happy to let us have the ball at times, but I thought they were very composed. It was the first time, I think, since we've been back to the Premier League where I saw a style of play that you you don't really see in the championship and that you know they took all the sting out of stuff and I, I could see them being quite handy but they are they are plumb middle of the Premier League team for me yeah. you know, you're going to see they they could they can they get picked off by better teams my, my takeaways from the game I think we look good at the back I think we look solid especially at centre half I think that's something that's that's going to come through strong and seems to be something that people agree with midfield again looks like we've got options um, Nakamba's debut was he grew into the game I thought Al Ghazi and Yotta and Grealish in a sentence I thought were guilty of overplaying and what that did was I thought the final third was was a bit messy over 90 minutes really we had chances we didn't take them i hope we don't look back on this game as an opportunity missed because obviously we had a good chunk of time against 10 men and uh Mm. for the for the first let's say 15 minutes of that west ham looked 10 times better with 10 men (laughs) they did look better for the 10 men didn't they it was it was annoying and villa just didn't seem to have a strategy to have a go at them Uh, i mean obviously elmo came on do you think our subs were too late uh well what would you have done would you have brought the same subs on this is no. the thing I said on Twitter. We just look short up top, and that—that's not just labelling it at Wesley. I'm—I'm I'm saying there's no options to come off the bench. There's that we haven't got. Mm. I mean, Davis—he's still a player in development, and you know he's obviously a young guy, and and he's our second striker. That's that's mm. all we've got. And you know he's obviously how many goals has he got to his to his name? Hardly any. I mean, one stat uh, that frightened me which I, I haven't mentioned uh, before, our top scorers in terms of Premier League goals in our squad, guess guess who it is? Or top two? Probably someone, dare I say, like Elmer Hamadi or someone like that. Good guess. Good guess. He, yeah, he's number one. Five goals. Mm. He's, our, he's our top Premier League scorer. I think Chester's uh, second with three goals. These wow. are goals in the Premier League. Wow. So when you, when you take that stat, we've got no tried and trusted men. 
with no. Premier League goal scoring experience. And you're thinking, oh, hang on a minute. And then against West Ham, I've got to say, you know, West Ham were there for the taking when we obviously saw that we had the measure of them in terms of preventing them creating uh, clear cut chances. And when we, you know, when we were up against 10 men, they were the team pushing the envelope and we looked a bit short nothing really happening in wide areas no that was the big and thing for me it was just frustrating because what did we speak about when we were speculating in the summer what how is dean smith going to upgrade this team and it was i think uh, the main thing the main thrust of what we were saying was by improving the, the wings and you know that's flank you know, deliveries from uh you know overlapping full backs and that's what we thought Gilbert mm. and target i mean obviously target hasn't had a sniff yet in the premier league and uh, is recuperating but el ghazi and y- yotta chris what talk to me about yotta because I-, I don't know if he's cutting it at this level he's got these skills he's very left-footed mm. i think the the way he plays the game he's almost suited for a more central role yeah Uh, in the Premier League has he got that turn of pace to play on the wing as a straight out winger well he's not going to get to the byline and deliver with his right foot he just isn't and then when he cuts inside it's quite predictable you know he's a tricky player but he's he is very much the poor man's David Silva he's that kind of player (laughs) Um, and then I think you can't afford a razor no (laughs) that's how poor he is and in terms of the support he gets, you need Gilbert to kind of bomb on. Or we, I mean, you've said it numerous times, Dave, about the the upgrade in the fullback positions. In that, you, I mean, to use a very very extreme example, and you could never compare the two players, but you compare someone like Neil Taylor on the other side to say yeah. like a Jordi Alba who spends the entire fucking game in the opposition's half and gets yeah. to the byline every time and delivers. The amount of times where Taylor becomes the out ball. And yeah. you think you've got he's got to either back his ability or yeah. you've got to you've got to replace him because while he does a lot of good defensive work, the way we're set up to play with like the, the single striker, your your guys in wide positions, they have to put a shift in. Yeah. And Taylor gets into some pretty good positions where a half decent fullback, even someone, dare I say, like an Amavi, who I actually think would have flourished in this team, would just wrap their foot around it and whip it in the box. Hmm. And at some point, he's going to have to do that because we end up, as Dan said, and I was saying this throughout the game, that we get into good positions and then we overplay. Grealish was guilty of it on numerous occasions. And to be fair to him, he held his hands up in his post-match interview and said the same in that they just weren't clinical enough when they got into the final third to, to work the opportunity. They weren't patient. They were kind of forcing it and kind of the occasion almost gets them a little bit where the fans were kind of sort of geeing them on to really go for go for broke especially with the last 10 minutes but they never yeah. really worked a really clear cut chance you know considering they were down to 10 men for what was it sort of 20 25 minutes we never actually tested the keeper i think when you look at grealish he's still playing too deep by the way that goal he scored against the blues the header where he came out of nowhere and and headed it in in the 4-2 game yeah and this is Grealish losing his marker, you know, making runs, getting into interesting positions. And throughout this West Ham game, and I, and I see a lot of this uh, in the Premier League game so far, he's picking the ball up, approaching the, the edge of the box. And there's, you know, four or five players, opposition players in front of him. And mm. his teammates are kind of hovering around. And because obviously the back line's got its line, so a player can't, you know, break through and go in an offside position, you just relying on Grealish to do something and you know how's he going to beat four or five players nobody can make a a run to there's no room for him to thread a ball through so it just seems to be opposition allow Grealish to have the ball in positions where he can't really hurt us Hmm. and something's going to happen with Grealish in terms of where he gets the ball it's it's 
we've got to do something. I mean, when you look at these teams who play possession-based football, I mean, we're talk- if you throw Wesley in the mix here and people are saying, oh, you know, Wesley's isolated on his own, blah, blah, blah. When you look at the, you know, the, the international teams of Spain and, and France, when they've won World Cups without a recognised striker, and that's because their midfield moves around and is fluid. And I don't mm. think we have that fluidness at the moment because... No. If it was, then we could compensate for Wesley, and it's still a bit stagnant. Like there's Wesley, if he has to go wide or come deep to get the ball, there's nothing filling in the space where he's come from. But I'd say that the only the only player who who does have that not of a Spanish star necessarily, but that understanding that if you're playing in that midfield role, then you need to contribute offensively is, is McGinn. Yeah. yeah. And McGinn's natural instinct is whenever he gets the ball, if he can't play the ball into an advanced position, he, he makes the advanced position and, and shoots himself. Yeah. My observation of Villa would be, and this is the worrying thing about our lack of, um, I mean, I'll say our, our lack of goal threat is that Al Ghazi, um, for me, is, has, uh, for whatever reason, a rawness about when he's running with the ball that he never looks fully in control of it. When he does release the ball, he's firing it at one man in the box. Yotta on the other side, has all of the technical attributes. Is 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 a superb footballer. Zero pace and also a bit lightweight. He's he's a small guy as well. And I th- and I and I do think that the Grealish is our is our star target man, if you like. And I think that at the Premier League, he's he'll have been analysed to death, and you can already see teams try and crowd him out. But I think that what that's create what that's creating for Grealish is that he he finds himself with actually very very limited options around him because to take your word, it's it's not very fluid. That I think he needs a quicker release ball. For me, the formation doesn't work right because we're having to shoehorn Wesley into that position because in in the absence of there being any way of changing the lone striker we, we don't have a we don't have an option I mean I, I lost count of the misplaced passes so. oh awful um, from oh. Gilbert from McGinn Grealish and we're not talking Nikamba about El Ghazi these weren't Hollywood passes these were routine yeah. Yeah. exactly Unforced balls. errors. Frustrating, you know, moments like Gilbert had, had done well to get up that flank. And then mm. that just the final ball, which would be casual. an easy ball, yeah. was so casual. And he gave the ball away that he was, and then he was like having to obviously tear it back and, re, you know, redeem himself. Nakamba did the, you know, the same thing as well. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got into good positions and then that just like an easy ball was misplaced as well. So, I mean, I don't know if it's the pressure of obviously the, the full house, you know, spearing people on or, Obviously, you know, for example, Nakamba is his first game, Gilbert, what is it, second, third game. So there is this getting used to each other. So you've kind of got to throw that into the mix. But some of these passes were routine that they they fluff their lines mm. on. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the word control earlier, and I think that's the, the big thing for me, that you look at the way West Ham played, and they do have some, you know, some very, very talented players. You know, Declan Rice was superb, mm. I thought, much better than his performance for England the previous week. Mm. I think Lanzini's a great player. Philippe Anderson's a cracking player. And they've got guys who naturally, they all want to put their foot on the ball and play, and that's traditionally yeah. the West Ham way. And they yeah. look and they, they look so comfortable in, with the ball, whereas we always look like it, we're just holding it together. You don't mm. ever think, oh, we've held the ball here for sort of phase after phase after phase of play. And we could just knock it around for five minutes and be comfortable. We always look like we're rushing it or forcing it, or we don't just control the tempo of game and pull the opposition around. And then when the opportunity comes to go through the gears and open them up, we do that. We kind of we're, we're always waiting think... for a, we're always waiting for like a moment of genius, which doesn't come. Well, Smith said in the in the international break in that interview that uh, one thing that's lacking is dominance of games in terms mm. of possession and and. I can see why. And you can see why just from that West Ham game because 
some of the loose passing, casual passing. They're not doing it like, you know, training exercise where you're almost like passing on instinct. It's like they're overthought and they're just giving it away. But some of them are just blatantly just poor passing, which is, yeah. is you know, it's not even you would get castrated if you're a League Two player doing these passes. The, fr- the frustrating thing about that is it's, uh, as, as we know all too well as, as seasons, seasoned watchers of our club, is that at this level, that, that's where you get punished. And yeah. there were opportunities today where I think if West Ham had wanted to be more expansive or, or um, uh, frankly, our, our centre-halves hadn't been as, as on form as they were, I think that they'd have crafted more opportunities. Those There were three or four cross-field balls that ended up in the middle of the park where I think a better team would have would have broke on us and, um, you know, you know, nil-nil even becomes a, a one-nil or worse yeah and that that's the really that's the frustrating thing and what we've what we've got to find is a bit of composure because um you know i'm using west ham as as they were the team in front of us tonight but when the ball broke to them we'd have we'd have often worked very very hard to get that ball only to get rid of it quite casually west ham would often you know they take a lot of what we were trying to create in terms of tempo out of the game and that was probably a game plan. They were perhaps looking for their one opportunity. But we did set up so many of their counters just through yeah, yeah, yeah. lazy yeah, exactly. passing. Exactly. Uh, I mean, just looking, I mean, I've, I've brought this up a few occasions, is our lack of corners, mm. f- forcing corners. And this is another game. We, we only got two. Now, is this because of, because of ineptitude down the flanks like I uh, rose? Yes. I think it was a couple of episodes ago. That we're not actually, you know, getting down the byline, forcing corners, whether it's people heading out crosses or deflecting off blocks or wh- whatever. But we, we don't, we're not pressuring teams in dangerous areas, I think is what the corner count is telling us. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, it's because we, we spend a lot of time down by the opposition corner flags, but it's normally Algarzi and Grealish sort of, for lack of but a better word, going into sort of ticker-tacker the ball around. But it, no one seems to get their head down and go to the byline. When with Algarzi, when he's at his best, as we saw in the playoff final, is when he is actually a little bit more selfish and he just is direct because yeah. he can run. And, the, and the, you know, when you head towards the byline, you make the defender have to make a decision. He's either going to have to tackle you or he's going to have to push you towards the touchline, but it makes them make a decision. At the moment, we're kind of trying to just play our way through all the time. And you, you, you're playing against much better players, much more organised defences. Teams are kind of, would be probably looking at us going, oh, brilliant, Villa are just letting us off the hook here by... Yeah. You know, we could deliver. You know, you've got a big guy in the centre... You know, Wesley's going to thrive on good service. You know, the one, bet, probably the best chance we had came from the, the one of the few times we actually got that the ball Grealish out wide. Cross. Grealish got to the byline, cracking ball in, and he's ultimately he's got to score. Um, and it's it seems so simple when we play like that, and it was the same last season. And in, even under Bruce, it was like that. It's like when Villa would go through the gears, get to the byline, deliver. Previously, it was always get get El Mohamedi into a good position, deliver a good ball, and we'd often make a chance. But it seems like almost an unwillingness. And then when we get a corner or something down there. We try and do some clever short corner routine. <laughs> Our set yeah. piece delivery so far this season has been absolutely dog shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there was, a, I think it was in the first half where we had an indirect free kick. Uh, it's on the, to the corner left of the of penalty the area, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and we, we, instead of just delivering the ball in, where you think, well, this, you know, it's as good as a corner, but actually, if anything, the positioning was better. And we're, we're a very tall team as well. You know, so you watch Mings and Engels trudge up there and you're looking at Wesley thinking, great. And then we fathom 
you know, we I think we even conspired to give the ball away no quicker than we took the free kick. And you just wonder sometimes that's not Smith, that's not Terry coaching that into the that's just plain. No, because when you look at when when teams are attacking us from either crosses or corners, pretty much nine out of ten balls that go into our box, Mings gets on the end of them. Mm. And it's it's quite astounding. Uh, you could see it today, you could, especially against Spurs. You could see it. I mean, Engels plays well, but I'd like to see Eng- see how Engels gets on without Mings because Mings, this they say, does a lot of the heavy lifting. And if you're having like 10, 10 12 corners, if Villa forced that amount of corners, surely Mings is going to get on the end of uh, some of them if he can do what he does in his own box in their box. It's the probability thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like harking back to the days of O'Neill. You know, back in that era, you'd have Barry. Milner, Young delivering a good ball, and you had the likes of Carew, Larson, Melberg. You had all these guys who would attack Dunn, the ball. Collins, it was it was yeah, it was Carlos Cuella. Ah, yes, yeah. It was a really sort of simple formula, and I just don't yeah. see why. As you know, Smith has said, if you're not dominating teams, you kind of have to approach them a bit like playing away from home or like cup matches, where when you get the chance to put the ball into the box, put it in there and compete because yeah, it works. <laughs> Richard Dunn. It works. It's done, yeah. <laughs> this is a, a big problem. Just we're not playing to our strengths. I mean, obviously, Horahan's not on the pitch, so that we lose a bit of set-piece potency there. Yeah, the last 10 minutes was was crying out for Horan. Yeah, and I was surprised he didn't come up. Just just for the simple thing that he makes, he, he can make something happen, and he's generally quite composed in the final third. I didn't quite understand why he brought Louise on uh, for like for like for Nakamba when you're facing 10 men. Yeah, no, but if you you want to force the issue and you want to go for the win, I would have gone for Oran. Yeah. It's it's not as if you're risking anything defensively because you're actually playing 10 men. I mean, when Luis came on, he was, again, he was a bit casual. He was, you know, he was there. Very deep as well. On the toes of the centre-backs asking for the ball. And he's like, well, hang on a minute. We're trying to win this game. So why bring him on to just play him as a, you know, in a defensive? I thought he was going to play him further up the field. (laughs) A bit contradictory on the one hand to bring Louise on and then and at the same time bring on our record Premier League goal scorer on <laughs> Hamadi as well. <laughs> I mean, if it was just me. The El Mohamedy decision I actually thought was the right one. In the get I like El Because Smith, Smith knows the stats. He goes, we need a goal here, guys. And he's the man most What do you likely. mean our Egyptian owner's here? Quick, fucking get him. <laughs> get the sand off him. Quick, get him out. <laughs> <laughs> is that casual racism no not from i'm the iranian envoy Poss- can't possibly be <laughs> but i think it was frustrated quite a lot of people in this one that you know with you're against 10 men for 20 25 minutes and you think like come on be proactive like even if you know it would have been gut-wrenching to have lost the game because west ham didn't deserve to win but just to see villa go fuck this we're gonna go for broke like reshuffle the pack go for it and the fact that west ham had 10 men and actually looked better yeah. more organised and much better on the ball was it was so frustrating because you think the way Smith wants to play you know if you're playing this ball retention game you should be able to use that extra man mm-hmm. and if you're patient enough you will you will work opportunities but the movement I, is just crap. I thought we looked um, a bit leggy on seventy minutes yeah, as well. I agree. And when when the I think when the board went up for Yotta, I thought you could have took either either Yotta or Al Ghazi off um, Al Ghazi more because it, it really didn't look like it was going to be his day. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a popular decision, but I I, I thought McGinn was blowing a bit hard as could well. Have taken Grealish off, to be honest with you. He, yeah. I think there's some discussion for where Grealish fits into this when you've got Yotta and Al Ghazi in the same. I, I think it, it looks a bit. 
there's a couple of luxury players there and luxury players at certain times and I think they're different combos Hurahan's been mentioned you know I think we we might need to mix it up a little bit and even if that means putting someone like you know is it so unrealistic to suggest that someone like a McGinn or a, or a, or a Grealish should be closer to Wesley Yep. You know, almost like I mean, playing I, off I've, him. Um, yeah, I've said this before. You'd, you could yeah. play Grealish right off his shoulder, almost like how um, Hazard would play mm-hmm. with, um, you know, Diego Costa and mm-hmm. people like that. You know, you get, you've got to get your talisman. Even Yotta, even Yotta, because yeah. of the lack of pace, put him close to Wesley. You've got to get those kind of guys in that yeah. proper number 10 position. You know, the fact that with 10 minutes to go, Grealish is taking the ball off the centre-backs, he's taking it off Nakambri. Like, what are you doing back there? And Grealish is saying he, he doesn't want, he wants to play number eight. He doesn't want to play number 10 in that you know we're talking just behind the uh, let's say an attacking midfielder yeah. and that's all well and good and, and to be you know to be fair to Grealish his, his defensive side of his plays has been pretty good I mean he blocked that mm. Rice shot he, you know he gets stuck in and there's no qualms there he's obviously built himself up and he's, he's pretty solid uh, in terms of uh, his defensive side of his game I don't think you can fault many of their work rate their effort I think that sometimes the decision making's poor that's the big thing for me as underlined by the poor passing our indecision on creativity at times. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think we're not really seeing uh, Grealish this season so far uh, offer the kind of attacking threat that he's really built to have. You know, he's going to be this magician. It seems to be the curse of Southgate with him as well, because obviously he was there <laughs> you know, at the game and every time Southgate seems to come and watch him, he just doesn't, it doesn't seem to happen for him. He's not getting in the England squad if he's playing like that. That's that's no, not a chance. That's the fact of the matter. I mean, unfortunately, you you look at the guys who who are you'd class as his peers. Yeah. Currently, the likes of Mount Grealish offers you something slightly different, but not that different. In that, is, is Madison ahead of him? Yes, comfortably. Mount is a very similar level, but he's the form player. Yeah. I look at someone like Barkley, Henderson. It's the it, ability to, to, to raise yourself above into that next level, isn't it? You know, yeah. you look at players like, I mean, take take um, Sancho and players like that, you know, that they are... They're match winners. Yeah, well, they're and match, exactly. as well. Mm. And and I think the thing that the my one observation with with Grealish between in terms of a difference between this and last is that it's he can carry the ball. He's incredibly skillful, but he do, he seems to have lost that bit of pace. You know where you he could turn a game and I you know and the opposition's very different. Different. You know I'm about to reference the Rotherham goal, but that that goal that he scored where he raced across the pitch and that he was within ten yards of their goal before they knew it. You know, that's the kind of, that's the difference now. Whereas he carries the ball, he has to negotiate a busy centre midfield and then he finds himself in front of five people on the D of the penalty box. That's 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 the difference. Well, it's the difference between being a good player and being, mm. you know, you and your Edin Hazard and you know, those yeah. really world-class players. And like, you know, we said it before about the Spurs game, you know, they brought Christian Eriksen off the bench who completely changed the game. Grealish needs to work out what his role is going to be. Now, is he going to be the man who makes everything happen? Is he going to run the game for Villa? Because at the moment, mm. it's it's not quite either. Yeah, I think he needs to almost disappear a little bit on the pitch because he's going too deep, as we've and been saying. And very hard. Going deep, picking up the ball, and that's where everybody can see you. But if you're playing mm-hmm. further up the field, that's where you can get in behind people, make your runs disappear, run, make runs to support Wesley, come in on the blind side of the full-back and, you know, centre-back. But, you know, they see him coming from miles away because he's coming in from too deep and he's it's not effective because he, he just leaves himself with too much to do. And the Villa midfield has to become more fluid and that includes the DMs. The DM can't 
just be there to just pick the ball off two centre-backs who actually are pretty good on the ball. So that almost it's a waste of a player when he picks the ball up that deep and then just casually goes forward and plays a, a simple pass. They need to uh, get up and support McGinn and Grealish and impose themselves on the centre of the midfield more as well. Yeah, otherwise you end up playing like five at the back. Yeah, because like, for example, like somebody like Kevin Richardson would play that role, but he would, you know, he would be more dynamic and he would be the heartbeat and keep the midfield ticking. He's a great leader, isn't he? And be supporting everybody. I mean, a lot of supporters probably wouldn't appreciate his role because they, you know, he's not, you know, he's not scoring uh, loads of goals or he's not like a McGrath figure or as dynamic as perhaps, you know, somebody like Andy Townsend in the same team. But he's, you know, he's the one that's ticking and connecting people up. Yeah, I was going to say that 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 example of like the, the, that that sort of my favourite era of them was the, the three lads of Townsend Draper Taylor that they could all do everything they could all tackle they could all pass they yeah. could all get a goal and if one if you know, if one or two went one would sit. I was about to say and I bet they were never more than twenty yards from each other as well. Yeah, yeah. it was a three. Mm. And Mark Draper wasn't the cleverest person in the world either. If you ever heard him, yeah, uh, yeah, in the squaddies video. <laughs> We didn't exactly. Uh... Here's your job, Mark. <laughs> but no, but like today, there was a few incidents when finally we got a ball into the box. There was Wesley, and then you just counted the dark blue shirts around him, and yeah. it was like six or seven. It's like, well, the laws of percentages say that we're not going to score from this. Especially with these, um, it was El Ghazi and Verbi or Grealish. These are when you're cutting inside from the left and you're trying to swing a ball in. Unless you're getting them putting that ball on a sixpence, it's going to go out for a goal kick. Yeah. Are we going to mention... The Wesley dive. Oh, I forgot about that. Are we going to mention the Noble dive? Oh. Because Noble, Noble should have gone. Simulation. Should have been a second yellow. But he got up so quickly. It reminded me a little it bit of Grealish. shit dive, though. Where he's not looking for it, mm. but it could... No, he was. Mm. He was playing for that. But he got up... At our end of the ground, he was playing for that. He got up like lightning. Chris, you should be an Iranian judge. You're very uh... yeah. He didn't. He didn't. It was like Grealish, <laughs> where he, in the the Palace game, where he didn't you know make any gestures or whatever. He he got up straight away and he he made the pass like Grealish did to Lansbury. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement that the Wesley one was pretty rubbish, though. I don't want to see that again. It was awful. That's horrid. Mm. Wesley one's almost like his role model is Rivaldo, who you know would dive at the corner flag when there was no player within twenty yards of him. And hold it's his just head. The whole thing stank of just desperation. Oh, it's terrible, yeah. It's embarrassing, shouldn't happen. Hopefully somebody says to him, please don't do that again. Because he did that a few times. There was a couple of times where he might have fashioned a chance or at least got a layoff, but he went for the dive instead or, the, you know, mm. trying to uh, get a free kick. And he's massive and strong. Yeah, and it's, I hate it's that. so frustrating. He's, he's, in comparison, you know, their lad up front, the new guy, I thought was excellent. You know, it was up against, I think the battle with him... Engels and Mings was really good and I thought he mm. was superb he led the line for them especially when they were down to 10 men I yep. thought he was superb as a target man he's quick he's strong he's he's got everything he won't be at West Ham long they'll get a year or two out of him and then he'll get a big move if he can he'll be off to this. Malaga yeah he will yeah for a month <laughs> if that's your one man up front you want somebody who's going to be a real thorn in the defensive side and real bully them you don't want some pussy falling over at any <laughs> any like hints of because people no. know he's refs aren't that stupid with him now. They'll, they'd no. have already picked up that he's a. <laughs> 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 that it, what, what can I call him politely? What's Brazilian? What's Brazilian for? <clears throat> but no, it's it, it's it, yeah, it's just not on. It's it's, it's pathetic, basically. I mean, I, I kind of get it to a point when you're in a 
there's a chance of actually getting a penalty. But generally with him, he does it at the most stupid times where there's generally a better option on anyway. Yeah. The amount of times where he didn't, El Ghazi was guilty of it, Grealish was, just release the fucking ball. Yeah. There were so many options where there were better options. You just think the crowd, to be fair, stuck with it really well. But they were getting so frustrated because Villa didn't seem to learn. I would hazard a guess that Smith will be giving them a bit of a bollocking after yeah. that because they will know that that is a huge opportunity missed, as Dan's already said. You know, we're in the fucking Premier League now and they, they, that game should have been a, a three points just based on how well we did in terms of defensively. We got the ball in the final third and, and it was just shocking how inept we were with it just through our mistakes and casualness I mean I'd have thought West Ham would be very pleased with a the point there yeah they got away with that because no, they, they would have thought we could have easily have lost that and especially when I went down to 10 men I thought we're going to get ripped apart now but never materialised I mean I can see why Man City took them to pieces on the opening day because a fluid team who yeah. hits them from all angles will just pull them all over the place Hmm. And part of being fluid is also getting back and defending. And uh, Al Ghazi, I mean, Mings Ooh. ripped into him for that. And then Al Ghazi had the cheek to like lean into him with his head. And that's when that's when Mings pointed at him and said, "I'm going to fucking fill you in if you <laughs> carry on like that." <laughs> there, there was a moment where I thought the Mike Dean show is going to send him off here. Or send I just them both wondered. Off. Yeah, I, I thought, oh, he'd love this, and and he probably got himself <laughs> a little semi on at the thought of doing it before coming to his senses. Oh, I haven't sent two players from the same team <laughs> off before. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I think just just on Al Ghazi's defensive, um, just linking to what was being said about Neil Taylor earlier, because he, he's easily scapegoated sometimes. I think he's he's no good going forward, uh, and that's just not in his not in his bag. But he was exposed three or four times because where was Al Ghazi? We, you you look the other side of the pitch, and we were you know. Getting, getting tested, I think, between Yotta and, and Gilbert. Yeah. But Taylor did that job on his own a lot of the time. Yeah. No, Taylor, to be fair, did all, did all right, as he mm-hmm. has done this season. He's, he's, he's known that, obviously, we've spent over £10 million on a left-back. Oh, he's got composition. In, yeah. Instead of picking up his wage packet and, and just sulking, he's actually stepped up. I think that, you know, we've said it a few times about our guys. I remember, we, I think he, uh, did he make his debut at Norwich last season? And we were all, it was a bit of a yeah. red flag there. And it's just, it's that cliche of, can he do it on a Tuesday night at Stoke? And I think in the in Premier League terms, it's the, can he do it Monday in a night team against, yeah, yeah, <laughs> against the West Ham? Yeah. But it's, but it's, can he do it when the chips are down? You know, when, when a team's going at him and they're putting him under pressure, is he going to stand up and, you know, in, in, in rugby, they call it, is he going to front up? And I just yeah. think it, he, he's great yeah. in a team that's winning 10 games on the bounce and, they're getting loads of classic confidence, and he player, gets loads it? of the ball. And when everything's going rosy, good at fronting up to Mings. <laughs> Just one person. Do you know what? I think <laughs> pick your battles. Sam I what? think if he'd have done that on the training ground, he'd have probably had happen to him what Olaf Melberg did to Lundberg. <laughs> he'd have absolutely <laughs> took him to pieces. Yeah. As long yeah. as he doesn't appear with a boot mark on his face. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, not, I don't. Not that Mings hasn't got history for... <laughs> with players like you know Al Ghazi and, and Yotta. You know they're going to sort of drift in and out of the game. That's it's that they're those kind of players, but at least with Yotta, say like the Everton game, he drifted in and out of the game, but he made the goal. So you think, well, he's got his assist, brilliant. If Algarzi isn't delivering, if he isn't making goals or scoring goals or making things happen, he's a passenger, unfortunately. He's a little bit of a sulker as well, I think. Yeah, he really is. And unfortunately, Wesley has a little bit of that about him. I don't yeah. think he's a sulker, but I think he's just frustrated. All through this podcast, I've been holding back the thought that, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to name and shame, but I think Do it. we've got four or five positions that aren't Premier League standard at the moment. And that's concerning yep. because that 
pushes you down to the lower echelons of the league in terms of where you end up finishing up. And I think Villa will be spending in January. Mm. Oh, um, that's a given. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not being alarmist just because we've won one game in five. I mean, we've been reasonably competitive and you could argue, you know, a few more games together and that kind of extra five, 10% that you need and, you know, the more fluidity in the passing might sink in and we'll start getting points. But I'm not convinced about some of these players, to be honest. And we've already discussed the ones that, the ones that we're referring to because we're saying we haven't got any threat on the, on the flanks. And I think we can carry one or two of these players, but we, I think we've got too many. I would tend to agree because I actually think Wesley, although he hasn't sort of set the light, the world alight, I actually think put him in front of goal and give him some service and he'll probably score goals. I was about to say, how many clear-cut chances has he actually you know, we had the one, given? The one, yeah. you know, tonight where he, he ultimately should have buried it, but it happens. But, you know, Abraham was getting three, four, five chances a game and burying one or two of them. Yeah. He's, get, he's getting nothing. He's not mm. like, you know, I think if he was, if we were making a lot of chances and we and he was being incredibly wasteful in front of the goal, you'd, you'd kind of be a little bit harsher on him, but. Yeah, he's feeding on scraps at the moment, and yeah, and this is the thing. However, Smith is setting this team up to play. Is not getting Wesley involved, and is not making him a threat to the defense. The defense really don't have to be that concerned about him, really, because Villa don't play at the moment in a way that gets him. We play around him. Yeah, we play around him, and all the defense have to do <laughs> is stick a man on him, mark him, and uh, just concentrate on stopping Grealish. Well, some of his hold-up play is still really good. But it's just you've got to have, as you said, McGee and Grealish, yeah. you've got to have them close enough to him to, for people to kind of feed off mm. him and sort of drive through, which is exactly, you know, what happened with the uh, the McGinn goal at Tottenham. You know, McGinn yeah. did exactly what he had to do, which is drive almost past the striker. Yeah, because in the first half, our counter-attacking against Spurs, you thought, actually, this defence is looking good. And uh, if, we, if we're decisive like this on the break, we should be all right this season as we mm. rebuild. But... Uh, but we didn't do many of those things that we saw at Spurs. That's that's a, a frustrating thing that we didn't. Dev- or against Everton as well, really. No, no. Yeah. I always thought we uh, carried a threat against Everton. Yeah, I, I think. But uh, my, we, we we're back into sort of you know we've been away from the Premier League for a few years. But this this was a constant the last time we were here that against the top top teams they they play a high press. They want to be creative further. You know they hurt you that way. And you there is that license to get in and in behind them, particularly down the flanks. Actually, sometimes. Um, you know, with teams like your Everton's and your West Ham's, is that they are by their nature of where they sit in the pecking order a, a bit more conservative, aren't they? And I think that you have to break these teams down. Well, I mean, West Ham played a high line at the back, and Villa struggled to. Uh, we didn't advance. Well, we didn't advance, it. did we? No, for the reasons we've. Yeah, there for the taking. I mean, you look at why City would destroy them with Sterling, De Bruyne, yeah, exactly. Aguero. You've got movement all over the field. If you get in behind West Ham, you are going to tear them to pieces. Yeah. One little side note, I suppose, from the game as well was it was a, it was a shame that one uh, Robert Snodgrass didn't get to uh, score the winner. Yeah. Well, what would uh, would have you know come on and get what would have been a really good uh, ovation for him? But yeah, no, no time for sentiment. We, need, we need, need to get three points. But yeah, but it is an interesting point that he can't even get in the team. I mean, he started once this no. season. He's he's popped up a couple of times as a sub. But and I would say he's better than Yotta. Ooh, which suggests how weak we potentially are down the flanks at the moment. I think Yotta great to bring on something different. If you and you can play him in a couple of positions, but you know behind the front man or but you know playing ninety minutes, I don't think he's much yeah, of a threat. 
to defend There's a few too many sort of bit part players there, but there's, yeah. no, there's not too many bankers. I mean, you looked at that West Ham midfield and you thought, of think, you know, Declan Rice, you're going to get a shift out of for 90 minutes. Mark Noble's the same. They are so consistent. I was very impressed with Rice, I must yeah. admit. Um, Felipe Anderson, mm. I thought, on the left before the guy got sent off, I thought he gave Gilbert and Yotta a torrid time. Yeah. I actually think they, they both stood up to him pretty well, mm. but he looks a class act. Lanzini mm. can run a game on his own. We just don't have that level yet. Yeah, but we'll... And bearing in mind, as you said, this is this is a team who are sort of an average Premier League side. Oh, well, well, there's always there's always the championship <laughs> next season. Well, thanks for cheering us all up, Chris. Yeah. Is all your music like this? Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> well, who's next? Arsenal? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's alright we've got good pedigree um, no. well as we say we're not doing a, a Scott Hogan touch count challenge this episode uh, but for the record he w- came on 75th minute in 15 minutes he managed two touches and according to Max Stokes one of those was a handball so <laughs> good lad <laughs> good lad as Stoke lost again wow they are falling apart aren't they I the think moment. they're bottom aren't they or on one wow, point the double draw no sympathy. Battling uh, on one point with uh, Huddersfield. They lost, didn't they, on Sunday yes. to Huddersfield Wednesday? Crowley oh, cunts. <laughs> Crowley cunts. Dave, so bitter. <laughs> the, sorry, uh, football aficionados will know Danny Crowley, who did a resurrection miracle job on Lincoln City. My, my, uh, you know, I have a my Lincoln City. I have a passing interest in Lincoln being a Lincoln. He never shuts up. Lincoln about man, I mean, myself. Yeah, well, no, interest. only because in the last couple of years they've actually been fucking awesome. <laughs> They've gone to a big club, David. Just accept it. Huddersfield. They ended up at fucking <laughs> Huddersfield. Unbelievable. It is backwards. It's like they've got parachute payment money or something. One point they've had this season at seven games. Lincoln, around the playoffs, I mean, they started off them and Blackpool were the only uh, 100% team in the whole football league under Crowley. And so, they, you know, looking at it, there was more chance of uh, Lincoln being in the championship next season than there is Huddersfield, because I think Huddersfield are on a, on a downward spiral. But Crowley's, they won non-league, turned it around in one season, won the non-league, took a non-league team to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, beating teams that Villa couldn't beat, beat Burnley, <laughs> beat Ipswich, beat Brighton. Yep. Bitter, gave, gave Arsenal a go, and then they won the. Then they won uh, after getting in the playoffs the following season. They won League Division Two. Now they're in League Division One, looking already to uh, push for the championship. And you're thinking they're going to go one day. There was rumours they were going to Sheffield Wednesday, and I thought I, I can live with that. You know, Sheffield Wednesday used to be a big club. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Huddersfield used to be a big club in the 1920s when they won the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> That's like four thousand years ago. Uh, when we were great. Last. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it was the 1880s. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. A <laughs> but Ooh, yeah, Huddersfield such an anticlimax. And I read the letter that he uh, wrote to the Imps fans, and and there's nothing. Sa- the only thing sacred, I think, in football now is that Villa have got a Villa supporting manager and a captain, and this this is the last stand of any tradition yes. before it completely erodes away. Because I thought the Crowleys would have this complete fantasy fairy tale leading Lincoln City to the Premier League and uh, that they would be legends and there'd be statues of them you know next to the Lincoln imp in the cathedral but alas not they get to Huddersfield fucking Huddersfield the mighty Huddersfield fucking hell Anyways, no doubt uh, Scott Hogan will probably end up at Huddersfield at some point in his career as he as he continues his <laughs> uh, 
spiral down. Right, so I think it's time to get out of here. We will uh, be going off to record some uh, patron-only shows, and uh, please do uh, become a patron to access them. Also, follow this show on Spotify if you listen to it there, and iTunes. Leave us an iTunes review as well, please. Give us a five-star. And until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. My old man said Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.